let's get this. Hold on. Let's turn this on. We've got to get this right. All right. Am I on? Amen. I get nervous about these little packs. I asked them tonight if this microphone pack was stress tested for love handles. And he says it has been. I don't know who normally wears this mic, but uh, anyhow, uh, it, it's working good. We're used to using smoke signals, you know. If you get far away enough, you can't hear me. So this is fancy, man, for a res boy. All right. Glad you're here tonight. Man, had a great day. Thank you for that special, y'all. That's a blessing. I've got a plaque up on my office wall. It says, bury my heart. It's got the shape of our reservation burned into it. My brother-in-law gave me that for Christmas. One of the most thoughtful gifts. Boy, I always think of that. I look up there, and I already bought my spot, preacher. $50 to the backhoe operator at the chapter house, and I'm in the Noslini Community Cemetery, amen? And so nobody will know I was there in 50 years. The cows will have all grazed it over, uh, but I've got my spot, and it'll be on the res with our people. So anyways, man, thank you for that. That was a great presentation. Did you enjoy that? Man, that's a blessing. I'm going to be in that country here at the end of April, and I've got a brother who, who serves in that region uh, of the world, and I'm going to get to go see him and minister to some of the people he's reaching, and on our way out, we're going to pop into Istanbul so they can do some medical, and so, man, I just really enjoyed seeing that. got me even more excited for that trip that's coming up. Man, we had a great day. How was your day? Man, we ate, ate, ate. Ate more, had wonderful donuts. What was the name of that donut place? Yeah, that place had cherry donuts. That's incredible. What a great idea. Cherry uh, ice donuts on top. And, man, it was delicious. And the spot we got to come uh, eat at, we were coming back down the mountain from looking at the, uh, uh, the church plant building up there in Truchas. Truchas. All right, I'll try to say it better, okay? Uh, but, man, I really enjoyed going up, seeing that, playing around in the snow a little bit, and uh, excited about what the Lord's doing through your church. Just keep that vision, man. Don't let it die out. Keep moving forward. I, I also, I really enjoyed being in the chapel this morning. We're going to have to work on the intelligence test. I don't know. I'm almost halfway tempted to do it in here. But I don't want to embarrass the parents, all right? Amen. Because behind every child that can't pass the intelligence test is... A parent, amen, that uh, they inherited uh, their intellectual ability from. So, uh, nonetheless, no, we, we had a really great time uh, this morning, and God's blessed you with good young people in this church. I am so grateful for that, and I'm telling you, I've been so burdened ever since I got here uh, the other night, just talking to some of the young people and seeing their good spirit, and the Lord laid something on my heart, and I was a little apprehensive to preach it because I don't want to, listen, this is missions conference. And I don't want to be the guy that comes in and preaches a message that's not a missions conference message during missions conference. There's nothing more irritating than that. Uh, but I think, I think if you'll go with me to Hebrews 11 tonight, and we look at verse number 23 together, and if you'll be patient and allow us to draw out the truths I believe the Lord has for us tonight, I think you'll see just how applicable these truths are to missions. Hebrews chapter 11 love this passage of scripture. I've been told that I preach too much out of the Old Testament. So I figured my way around that. If you start in Hebrews 11, you can preach anywhere you want to. Amen? Aren't, hey, aren't you glad the whole Bible's inspired? 
Man, I'm not in it for these jokers that want to take a penknife and pull two-thirds of my Bible out. Amen? Every single word is profitable. But I did figure out a way around all of that starting in Hebrews 11. Now, you're familiar with this passage as well, church? This is the great hall of faith. Now, we're going to look at the faith of Moses Really, the beginning place of the faith of Moses. And I want to preach to you a little while on this, building a foundation of faith. It's going to take some faith. Listen, what we're doing on Sunday, when we take those faith promise commitment cards, we are making a commitment by faith. You're going to commit an amount that you probably don't have sitting in your pocket right now. When you think about that, now we're, we're making a weekly, some will make a bi-weekly, some will make a monthly commitment. And, and let's say you, you commit uh, $10 a week, $520. You may not have $520 in your pocket, but you are by faith making that commitment, trusting that God will give that amount through you over the next 52 weeks. Make sense? So, so what we're doing is an exercise in faith that is so crucial to the life of a church. And tonight I want you to see just how important these expressions of faith that we make as parents and as adults, how important they are in the lives of our children. And how important missions conference is to your family. If you've got little ones, if you've got teenagers, if you have children of any age, what we are doing on Sunday is crucial to their walk with God and being raised up as Christians. And so we're going to talk a little bit about building a foundation of faith. Look with me, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 23. Want to stand? Let's do that. Let's stand together out of love and respect for the reading of God's holy word. Now, I didn't bring my water up here, but this one doesn't, I don't think it's been turned on. Ah, we're clean and clear. Very good. Verse number 23. Look at what the Bible says. And this is startling as you begin to look at the faith of Moses. It's startling the way it all begins. Because the Bible says, verse number 23, by faith Moses when he was born. Now that's interesting. How much faith do you think Moses had to have to be born? How much faith did he exercise in that? No, really. None. Uh, he, he was just born. It, it, and so I, I'm interested in this because as we get to talking about the faith of Moses, we don't even really begin by considering his faith at all, do we? Look, look, look read on. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Did Moses do that? No. Because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. You know what we see in this passage? We see that there is no Moses, and you cannot speak the name of Moses or the faith of Moses without first speaking the faith of his parents, Amram and Jochebed. Without the foundation that they laid for him, there is no Moses at the burning bush. There is no Moses withstanding Pharaoh. There is no Moses uh, calling uh, those, down those ten plagues. There is no Moses parting the Red Sea, receiving the Ten Commandments, shouting uh, who is on the Lord's side. All that we know of Moses, all those great acts of faith, listen to me, they were all built upon faith of someone else who laid a foundation for him. Nobody gets where they are on their own. Somebody laid a foundation for you to be where you are tonight. And I'll tell you what you need as a church as you continue forward is you need to continue to lay a foundation of faith for these young people. 
uh, we need to show them something on Sunday morning. We need to show them something big. We need to show them that mom and dad think missions is a big deal. We need to show them that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa think uh, getting the gospel around the world and winning the lost is a big enough deal to make a sacrifice. Hey, uh, we want uh, Valley Bible Baptist Church to continue on as long uh, uh, as the Lord takes coming and what that's going to take church if we want to see this vision that God has placed in the heart of your pastor and in the heart of you as a church congregation and body it's going to take uh, the long view to lay a foundation of faith for the young people in this church that is why every opportunity we have to express our faith is crucial in the development of the lives of our family and so I'd like to preach a little while on the foundation of faith that was laid for Moses by his parents. We can do that, can't we? Now let's look back to Exodus chapter 2. And let's observe their faith for just a moment. Or two or three. Exodus chapter 2. Now verses 1 through 10 are going to record what they did to merit their place in the great hall of faith. And I pray that we will find ourselves a challenge to lay a foundation of faith for this next generation coming up. Why don't we pray and ask for the Lord's help and then I'll allow you to be seated. Are your knees given out on you? Amen. Baptists have the weakest knees. They buckle at the end of every hymn, at the end of every prayer. Amen. Catholics got no truth, but they got strong knees, amen? All that up and down and up and down. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll let those Baptist knees give into the seat, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance to be in church again tonight. Father, there's nowhere else I'd rather be, because I know I'm right where you want me to be. And I'm so grateful for these people that love, you, that love your word, that have come out tonight, Lord, not to, uh, not to hear anything that Joel Haynes has to say. I know every single person that's here tonight came because they want a word from heaven, Lord. They want to hear from you. And so I pray, Lord, you'd get me out of the way. Uh, Lord, I'm the poorest of your servants, and I need the richest of your goodness tonight. And I pray that you would touch my tongue. And let me experience for a little while what it'd be like for it to be glorified, that I would only say those things that you want said in the way that you want them said. These are your people Oh, please, Father, would you meet with us? God, I'm so burdened after seeing all the young people and the children in this church and the families coming to the services and being in the Christian school. And, Father, as heavy as the burden and the fullness of my heart is tonight, I pray that that would not serve as distraction, but rather fuel and energy and motivation for the preaching of what you want preached tonight. We love you, Lord. We love the Bible. And we pray that you'll encourage us with this example. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I, I, I see some expressions of faith from these dear folks. Now, some of you may be thinking, man, this message isn't for me. I don't have any kids. Well, then grab one. They're running around all over the place here. Find one that you want to help and that you want to invest in and somebody that you'll pay attention to. Amen. Everybody can uh, help somebody and lay a foundation of faith so that they might continue forward and become everything that God wants them to be. I see three great expressions. We're going with the three-point sermon. I'm giving you hope. Now, who am I preaching to, church? Oh, you've already, uh, half of you forgot. Who am I preaching to, church? Amen. Who, who controls the length of the service? You do. Amen. All right. So you decide tonight and help me along the way. 
I see great faith in these people who laid a foundation of faith for Moses. First of all, I see their faith in the birthing of this child. You realize that Moses, when he was born, his parents brought him into a world, into a world that said it's not a good time to have a child. It's not a good time to have children. You understand that when Moses was born, he was born into a nation of sinners. He was born into a nation of people that had been in captivity in the nation of Egypt. And many of them had lost faith in God. Many of them had turned and begun to worship the idols in Egypt. You say, how do you know that, Brother Joel? Because in Joshua 24, 14, this is what Joshua said. He said, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served. Listen to this. On the other side of the flood, here it is, and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there were a bunch of his countrymen that had said, where is this Messiah? Where is our God? He's left us to ourselves. He's left us at the mercy of these Egyptians. And they had gotten discouraged and turned on the Lord. Oh, is that not a portrait of many believers today that look around and get discouraged with the direction the country's going? Or they get discouraged with the way that churches are going. And they say, man, you know what? Is it even worth it to serve God anymore? That was the kind of atmosphere and environment into which Moses would be born. Can I just encourage you tonight, if you're praying and considering starting a family, it'll never be a perfect time to start a family. This world has always been wicked. And it'll be wicked till Jesus comes back. Why don't you by faith just go ahead if God will allow you? Why don't you just go ahead and start a family by faith? Uh, you, you say, but, but, uh, Brother Joel, bringing children into a world like this, it just doesn't seem like a good time. Well, here's an example of some folks that went ahead and had children during a time when it wasn't a good time. When the so-called religious crowd was turning their back on God. This child Moses, he would be born under the sentence of death, would he not? You remember Pharaoh had decreed the death of all the little male baby boys? Hey, by, by rights and by law, he ought to have died. That's what he was born underneath. This child was born into servitude. Uh, according to natural circumstances, he would not be afforded a measure of self-determination. He wouldn't decide where he lived. He wouldn't decide where he worked. He would be told those things by his overlords. Born under the sentence of death. Born into servitude. He was born... When I look at this, I just think about what you and I were born under. Because you understand this, you were born under a sentence of death spiritually. By rights and by law, every one of us deserved the second death. Every one of us deserved to die and go to hell. Hey, I was born under servitude, so were you. A servant to sin, a servant to my flesh, a servant to this wicked world. But thank God, uh, somebody had some faith, a couple had some faith, whose name was Joseph and Mary. And they went ahead uh, and they brought baby Jesus to Bethlehem. And they brought a baby boy into this you know it's interesting to me every time there's a big problem in the world it seems like God brings a baby boy along have you ever noticed that in your Bible every time there's a problem God fixes it with a baby boy I got to look at that you know when there was a need in the life of an agonizing Adam and Eve God sent him a baby boy named Seth you remember that there was a need in the life of an aging Abraham and Sarah and he sent them a little baby boy named Isaac sent laughter into their home when there was a need in the life of an enslaved nation of Israel, God sent a baby boy named Moses in our text. 
When there was a need in the life of an arid mother named Hannah, God sent a baby boy along. What was his name? Samuel. God sent Samuel. And and can I tell you, you know what gets interesting? When you get over into the New Testament, see, there was a problem in the life of all mankind. And God sent a baby boy along 2,000 years ago, and his name was Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father. And you know what I you know I get a kick out of? Once you see that baby boy born in Bethlehem, God never makes a big deal about another baby boy being born again. You want to know why? Because there wasn't a problem. Uh, there's not a problem from that day forward or before that can't be solved by that baby boy that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Hey, uh, Jesus was born under the sentence of death. By rights and by law, he should have died. He was born under servitude, a nation that was under uh, the rule of the Roman Empire. But I sure am glad Mama didn't abort him. I sure am glad Mama went ahead and brought him into this world, the sinless Son of God, to be our Savior. Praise God for these little ones. Hey, uh, he was born under servitude, but you know what else? Moses was born for significance, he had a purpose. You know, you see these kids running around here, and come on, come on, parents. Sometimes kids can embarrass you. They're pros. Amen. Part of being a parent is learning a whole new level of humility. Especially if you fly with children. Amen. Whole new level of humility. And sometimes you can look and think, oh, man, my kid's so loud. Oh, they're always so loud. Everybody's going to be looking at them. And they're running along. Oh, look at them running in the church. Don't stop that stuff. That pastor's going to see. Somebody's going to see. Man, you know what? Man, let those kids be here at church. Man, let them enjoy being under the sound of the preaching of God's word. Don't be embarrassed of those little ones. Those quick little feet may be the same feet that grow up someday and run them off to a mission field. Those loud voices may be the voice that God uses to herald his message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody who's lost and dying and on their way to hell. Hey, I want you young people to know you were born for significance. God has a purpose for you. And it is our job as parents and it is your job as a church congregation to lay a right foundation of faith that they might fulfill uh, that purpose for which God brought them into this world. How do we do that? By laying a foundation of faith. They, they laid this foundation in birthing this child. It wasn't a good time to have children. Folks, God gave me this scripture and God gave me this passage when we were on boy number three after I'd had my Titus. After, after we had had him, I said, Lord, should we even bring any more into this world? So wicked. Man, a boy can't even walk around without seeing the trash and the filth that's everywhere. Women don't know how to put on clothes anymore. Uh, all that wickedness that is available at the touch of a button. Is button and, I, and I just said, God, is there, is there uh, any way to be able to raise some boys for you? Uh, and, and, and I came to this passage and I saw this couple and I said, man, if there's an example of faith, if that's not an answer to go ahead and have a family for God, I don't know what is. Hey, I see their faith in the birthing of this child. I see their faith, secondly, in the boating of this child. Come on, you knew I had to stick with the letter B. Look at what they did in verse number 1 of Exodus chapter 2. You're still there, aren't you? Here's what the Bible says. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. 
And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now that is parting the Red Sea miraculous. Have you ever known a baby to be quiet for three months? How on earth did she hide that little baby for three months? Now, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit, and I, and I, may, I may get in the doghouse with every lady in here. But when we had my, our first boy, I had my Joel Jr. boy. He was seven weeks old when we started deputation. And, uh, and, and we, we head out on the deputation trail, and I would tell people at churches, I'd say, man, this is the best baby you ever met in your life. And they'd say, what's so great about that baby boy? I said, first night we brought him home, he slept all night long. People would look at me like you're looking at me in disbelief. But I said that for 10 months all over the country, every church we went to. And after 10 months, my sweet and meek-spirited wife, she comes up and she says, you know, honey, I have been meaning uh, to mention something to you about that every time you've said it, and I just haven't had an opportunity. She said, you know, he didn't actually sleep all night until after a couple of months. And I said, oh, so I was sleeping all night from the first night that he came home and so i told you you ladies man if looks could kill uh, uh, but but i'm telling you that here's what she taught me babies don't stay quiet from the moment they come home and here she's hid this baby boy for three months the bible says look at this and when she could not longer hide him she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now this is interesting to me because here's what mama's going to do. She's saying, God, my son's safety, my son's future, uh, it's in your hands. By faith, we've brought him into this world, but there are circumstances that are beyond my control as a parent. And so, Lord, I'm going to do what I can do to prepare something that will help protect him uh, from, uh, from what the Nile would have him for. Or what, what the Nile would do to him. You see, all that's going to stand between Moses and drowning in the Nile is the ark that she builds for him. And can I tell you this, parents, there is a world outside the doors of this church that want to suffocate, that want to destroy, that want to sink, and that want to literally take the life out of every single one of our young people, out of every single one of our kids. And we've got to get it in our minds and in our hearts to do as Jacob and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can do uh, by faith to build an ark to insulate them and to help them survive the Nile. And here's what she did. The Bible says she made it out of three things. Did you see it? It says that she made it out of bulrushes. Now, you're smart, so you already know what that is, but I had to look that up. There are not a lot of bulrushes where I live. And so I got to looking around and I found out that that is what they use to strip down and dry out to write upon. That was papyrus. More than one papyrus is papyri. You impressed yet? That was something they'd use to write upon. Amen. In fact, a lot of ancient Bible manuscripts have been found written upon papyri. And I got to thinking, what did she do to help her boy? She wrapped him up in something that you would have written the Bible on. 
And I thought, boy, now if that's not a picture of what parents ought to do to insulate their children from what the world would do with them, to wrap them up in the Word of God, to teach them the Word of God, to have them in church hearing the Word of God, to have them memorize it and quote it and love it and believe it, wrap them up in the Bible, have these kids in church, build a foundation of faith for them by getting them under the sound of the Word of God. You don't understand. We're just too busy to be at church, Brother Joel. I know, I know we got these Bible scholars in here, huh? You're, you're, you're going to tell me, well, you understand God instituted the family before he instituted the local church. Hey, genius, how about take that family you love so much if you're so concerned about family time and have some at church with them? You can do that. Hey, serving God together as a family can be fun. This doesn't, listen, this ain't rocket science, man. You can serve God and you can work for God and you can raise a family for the Lord and build a foundation of faith that will last and strengthen your children. They're not going to hate you for taking them to church. Wrap them up in the word of God. That's going to be what protects them from this wicked world. They need to know the Bible. But that wasn't all she did, was it? She wrapped them up in those bulrushes, but the Bible says she also daubed it with slime. No, I didn't know what that was talking about either. You already know, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I, I looked at what that slime was, and it was the, it's the mortar they used to use to make the bricks. They called them slime pits. Remember, they'd get in there, and they'd dance in those slime pits, and they would make those bricks, and they would make that mortar. And so if you were to take that slime and put it on the inside of that ark of bulrushes, that would be some pretty hardy stuff. It, it would firm up, and it would be a good base for the inside of that ark, slime. I started thinking, what would slime have represented and meant to a couple who was in bondage in Egypt? Could you imagine maybe uh, Amram coming home one day to Jochebed and he says, Jochebed, slime, slime, slime. I've got it in my fingernails. I've got it in my toes. I've got it on my legs and my arms. He may have sounded like one of these grease monkey mechanics, amen, right? I mean, uh, 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 Gojo just can't get it off, right? Uh, it's all over me. I just can't seem to get off me. I can imagine him saying, honey, if I never uh, see another slime pit in all my life, it would still be too soon. You know what that slime represented in the life of an Israelite couple? It represented their hardship. It represented their bondage and their labors in a place that was not their home. And I just imagine maybe one day he comes home and he gets ready to get, go on his slime, slime rant. And she says, wait a minute, honey. This slime may be just what we need to help our baby boy make it on the Nile. And can I tell you, parents, what will help lay a foundation of faith for you with your children is not, don't just teach them the Bible. Don't just wrap them up in the Word of God. They need to see that the Word of God is real even in the slime, even in the hardships, even in the difficulties, even in the struggles we have in this world that is not our home. Oh, how many children have been raised in church and they've been taught what the Bible says, but as soon as things get tough, mom and dad start bickering. Mom and dad drop out of church. Mom and dad start uh, setting aside their Bible reading and their loyalty to God. Can I tell you this? If our kids are going to make it, well, you understand, kids, we would give to missions and we would do that, but financially we're just strapped. We're going through a slime pit in our finances right now. You know what they need to see? They need to see that God's still God in the slime pits. 
Some of the best, hey, listen, some of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my life was during times of struggle. When I watched my parents keep a good spirit, keep a smile on their face, and say, hey, everything's going to be all right. God's in control. Can I tell you, the difficulties you're facing right now, mom, dad, this may be the greatest gift in your parenting life that God's ever given you. Because now you have a chance to bring to life what you've been teaching them from the Bible. Now they're going to get to see it. Don't miss the opportunity to wrap them up in bulrushes, but daub it with some slime and live it in front of them. She not only used the bulrushes and the slime, but did you see what else she used in there? The Bible says also used some what? Some pitch. No, I got to, pitch is just pitch, y'all. You don't have to look that up, amen? It's just pitch like you'd figure it. It's it just like the stuff that you'd put on the roof, man, in the rain, right? Get your Henry's bucket and just keep things from leaking. You know the thing about pitch? You put it on when you don't know where the cracks and the, and, and the leaks are. Hmm? Uh, you, you know, she did the best she could to make sure that that mortar was on the inside, but she needed something else that her eye couldn't catch. Something that would just seep into every crevice and crack so that by God's grace, the water wouldn't get in the ark. Can I let you in on something here tonight? Uh, kids, teenagers, look up at me. Mom and dad aren't perfect. Let me let you in on something else. You're not either. And mom and dad... Knowing that we're not perfect and there's going to be some things that we miss no matter how you think you are there's going to be some cracks there's going to be some areas where you're going to need to beg for the grace of God and you know what I'd call that pitch in the ark I'd call that a mom and dad's prayer life just saying Lord I, if we've missed anything God if there's anything we're supposed to be doing and we're not would you just fill in the cracks and protect my son and protect my daughter you know the thing about pitch you don't measure pitch hmm I mean, come on, you ever seen a fella get up on the roof and say, all right, now we need a fourth a cup of pitch. Right? What do you do with pitch? Man, you just, if you do it like me, you just, you just pile it on there. Why? You don't want to miss the leak. You don't want to miss the cracks and the crevices. So you pile it on. Say, how much should I pray for my children? Don't put it in a measuring cup, brother. Don't put it in a measuring cup, sister. Just pray, 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 pray. And when you think you've prayed enough, pray, pray, pray. And fill in the crevices and the cracks and the things that you've missed. Hey, I can tell you how much you love your children right now. You, I can measure the love you have for your children by how much you pray for them. Don't tell me you love your kids if you don't pray for them. You're lying. Amen. I'll amen it myself if I've got to. But a parent that says that they love their child and doesn't pray for them, you know what we you, look that up in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? That's called a liar. You don't measure that man. You just keep on throwing in the pitch. And by God's grace, you've taught them the word of God and you've lived it before them and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you say, God, by faith, I brought these children into this world and I have lived faith before them and now I give them to you uh, to protect them with the ark that together by your grace we've put together for them. I see their faith in the, in the boating of this child, in the birthing of this child, but thirdly, you know where else I see it? I see it in the bringing of this child. Now you remember what happened when she boats this child. Remember that little ark with Moses goes on down the Nile. And you can see God's hand, can't you? 
God's hand was in the wind that day. It was in his hand. It could have blown him over, couldn't it have? The waters were in his hand that day. The, ri- the riverbanks could have flooded. The woman, Pharaoh's daughter, was in his hands that day. She could have been doing something else. That weeping baby was in God's hand. Uh, let's read the passage. Look at what the Holy Spirit of God does. As we come to what I believe to be the greatest test of Amram and Jochebed's faith. The Bible says in verse number 4, the Bible says, And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And you know what she did? The Bible says, And she had compassion on him. And said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, we'll pick up on verse 7. But don't you know the Holy Spirit of God reached down and pinched the fire out of that baby? Said, cry, baby, cry. Doesn't matter if you're Hebrew or not. No woman can resist a crying baby. Even a Hebrew. is in God's hand that day. Look at what happens as we read on verse 7. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. Now that's a pretty good deal. How many like to get paid to take care of your baby? Man, that's our blessing. It says, and the woman took the child and nursed it. And by the way, what a blessing to Jacobet. What a reward. The time she got, by the way, the time you have with your children is a reward. Better thank God for it. The Bible says in verse 10, and the child grew, and she, here it is, this is the greatest test of her faith, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. I think thirdly, we see her faith in the bringing of this child. Think about this, folks. We spend our lives, Egypt's a picture of the world, isn't it? We spend our lives trying to keep our children out of the world. We spend our lives trying to protect them from Egypt. And you know what she had to do? Bring him. She turned him over. Now, now think, think about what that would mean. Do you think Pharaoh's daughter would teach him to pray to the one true God of Israel? Do you think Pharaoh's daughter would teach him to have respect for the word of God? Or, or would teach him the traditions of Israel or the morality of Israel? Absolutely not. In fact, everything opposite of what she would have instilled in him, that's what he's going to get in Egypt. Uh, The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Uh, In fact, in our text, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. How do you know there was pleasure in sin? He'd been living in it. He'd been raised in it. He had done some things that mom and daddy never would have wanted him to do. Seen some things mom and daddy would have never wanted him to have seen. Folks, I try to protect my kids, but you understand this. This is a wicked world. And there's some things, hey, there's going to be some things you can't control. 
that they're going to have to, they're going to need a foundation of faith. They're going to need something to help them in those moments when you cannot and will not be there for them. And I see here, here, here he is, he's going to be learned in their philosophies, all that they believe, all that they worship, what Egypt calls right and what Egypt calls wrong. He will be lauded by their people. He will be looked up at like he's some kind of God. The Bible says in Acts 7, he was mighty in words and deeds. He was a little God. You know, kind of like this world tries to teach our kids. The world says, love yourself. If it feels good, do it. Whatever the mind can conceive, the body can achieve. That's the kind of garbage our kids are getting taught in the public school system. How, how, can they, how can they survive, Brother Joel, this wicked world? I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7 with me, and this is good. Now, if you've been on a mental vacation to Hawaii, fly it back down for this right here. Look what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 7. I've alluded to this scripture a few times, but we need to see it in black and white. Acts chapter 7, look with me at verses 20 through 23. How is Moses going to survive? It's the question I ask for my own family. How are my boys going to survive? How are they going to make it? When everything seems stacked against them. And I got encouragement right here. Acts chapter 7, verse number 20. If you're there, say amen. We're all together. Here's what the Bible says. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. How does he survive it? Look what the Bible says, verse 23. And when he was full 40 years old, sometimes it takes a while, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, isn't that something? Something came into his heart, and it changed his direction. You see, he was living in Egypt. He was living like Egypt. And something happened at 40 years of age that changed his direction where he said, I, he will look at the very woman he would call mother and say, I refuse to be called your son. He had that level of dedication to God. Where did that come from? I think it was from a couple that had him for those first few years of his life that laid a foundation of faith and that prayed and that watched him from afar. And that after they had built the ark, you know what they did? They just kept throwing in pitch. And they kept praying. Don't tell me they didn't quit praying. Don't tell me that their hearts didn't yearn for their boy when they would hear of his, uh, 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 his feats and they would hear the accolades that would be afforded him by the Egyptians. I think there was a, a couple down there in Goshen that they had laid a foundation of faith so that when God started dealing with Moses, Moses' heart was ready and Moses' heart was tender and it was ready to receive what God wanted to put there to leave Egypt and to be with the people of God. It came into his heart because somebody prepared his heart to receive it in the first place. I know what I'm talking about, folks. I've lived this. Hey, you could say, they said it like this of the prodigal son, and he came to himself. Why did he come to himself? Because he had a good father back home. 
that had laid a foundation of faith. He knew he wasn't doing right. He knew he shouldn't have been where he was. And there he was sleeping in the hog pen. And something came to him that somebody else had put there and laid a foundation for. I thank God that I've got a couple of parents that laid a foundation of faith for me. I'm telling you this, folks. I, I, I didn't always love our reservation. I'm just going to tell you straight. I didn't always love the Navajo people. My dad was nearly 40 years old when he moved out to the reservation. He'd already been in ministry some 20 years in the state of Texas. He had all seven of us kids. My baby sister was six months old, all the way up to my oldest brother who was 16. When we moved out to the reservation, I'm six years old. I just think it's all just a big adventure, amen. I'm thinking John Wayne, Cowboys, Indians, and, and I'm excited. But my older siblings were bitter. They were upset that they had to move from their friends and what they knew. And, and I'll tell you this, their bad attitude about Navajos and their bad attitude about ministry, I caught that bad attitude. Hey, uh, you teenagers, you kids, if you're an older sibling, you've got a younger brother, you've got a younger sister, you better watch your spirit because I'm telling you this, they'll catch your rotten spirits. Man, you, th you think you're scared of COVID? Hey, get a bitter and a dry and a broken and a nasty spirit. Man, that makes somebody put on a mask. They'll catch that from you. And some of you think, man, you know what? I'm mad and I'm upset and you've got all this garbage going on in your heart and you think it's all about you. You have no idea that you've got little brothers and sisters that are watching you. And if you're not careful, they'll catch your rotten spirits. I caught their spirit. And I tell you, I watched as my oldest two siblings got sent off to a Bible college that was more like a boot camp. I watched as my, my older brother just above me was sent off to the Ufala Boys Ranch over in Oklahoma. I watched my parents with broken hearts keep throwing in pitch. And I was 14 and I thought, man, you know what? These guys are dummies. I'm smarter than they are. I've watched the mistakes of my older siblings. I know how to talk the lingo. I know how to wear my hair back when I had it. And uh, I said, I know how to dress and I know how to do everything to make them think I'm spiritual. I'm going to fake it till I make it, man. At 14 years old, I was playing the game. And I, I, I taught a Sunday school class. I did what, they, what my parents wanted me to do. But in my heart, I decided, man, when I turn 18, I am blowing this town. I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to be able to stop me. And at 14, that summer, in the month of June, my parents said, hey, uh, 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 Pastor Tom Davis, the youth pastor at our sending church, he, he reached out to us, and Joel, he invited you to come stay at his house for three weeks. And he said, there's going to be a, a youth camp and a youth conference and a week of soul winning. And they figured, because I, I was faking it good, they figured I'd be excited about that. But on the inside, I'm sitting there, I'm going, great. And, I'm, and on the inside, I'm thinking, no, you're ruining my life, you know. I said, great. On the inside, I'm thinking, man, I'm going with all these nerdy church kids. Saying their little Bible verses and playing their little games. and This is going to be terrible. Man, I mean, I was determined this was just going to be a miserable experience. And by the way, you can be miserable real easy. Just decide you're going to be. The quickest way to be miserable is decide you're And by the way, it's not a long trip to being happy. Just decide you're going to be. Amen? And you'll get there. No, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. 
I determined to be miserable, and man, I was succeeding 100%. I wasn't having a good time. I was too cool for Sunday school, you know? They said, Joel, you want to swim? No, man, I'm too busy being cool. Hmm? Want to do this one? No, I don't want to do any of that. We started going to the services, and we were standing in those services, and a little preacher got up there named Cecil Ballard. And he started preaching away. We got him coming to our camp next year. I, I haven't seen him since that night. I gave my life back to the Lord. And I just want to thank him. That little guy, man, he's up there going back and forth and back and forth preaching on. So I don't even remember what he was preaching on, but it was exciting. I think the title of the message was, Joel Haynes, you're a dirty, rotten backslider and you need to get right with God. It was a curious title. got my attention, you know. It came to invitation time. I was grabbing the back of that seat in Comfort, Texas at the Pot of Gold Youth Camp. And I was sitting there squeezing and grabbing. And, 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 and they sang about the 46th verse of, of Just As I Am. And then they're about to start, I Surrender All. All these kids going down there, 400 kids of that youth camp. Kids flooding down to the altar and I'm holding on. Now I'm hanging out with all the cool kids. Okay, a, a cool, uh, the cool kids, man, that's just code for the losers. Amen? And by, by the way, you want to be a loser and you want to be cool, th those idiots will find you. Amen? Skunks love the smell of other skunks, I think, or maybe they don't. Maybe we'll go with the apple in a barrel of bad apples. I've never asked a skunk that, amen? <laughs> it just hit me now. Uh, maybe they don't. <laughs> Having said that, there's like a radar, man. Worldly kids, carnal kids, kids that got bitterness in your heart. It's like it doesn't matter how well you play the part, somehow you always attract what you are. And those guys, man, those bums had found me, and we're all sitting in the same row, and I'm grabbing the back of that seat. I don't want to go forward. But finally, something's tugging on me, and something's coming into my heart, and I, and I started to walk out the aisle, and one of the cool kids grabbed me, and he says, Joel, don't go down there, man. He says, you'll be different if you go down there. I said, man, I can't help myself. i got to go down there. I walked down the aisle, and I had it in my head, man. I, I mean, listen, I'm, I was well-trained in this. I said, I'm going to find myself a nice green counselor, some 18-year-old that was at camp just last year, and I'm going to make up some bogus decision and, and make myself feel better, and then I'll go back to my seat, and it'll be okay. I'll have survived another sermon. So I walked down and I found my 18-year-old. Man, he looked just a little bit worldly, a little carnal. And I thought, man, this is my guy. So I walked up to him. And as soon as I walked up to him, Brother Davis is on the other side of the tabernacle. And he's a girthy fella, you know. And so he grabbed that and he's coming over this side of, of the tabernacle. And he, and he waved that other fella off and he says, no, no, no. He says, I want to pray with this guy. We walked around the back of that tabernacle knelt down on our knees, and, and, and I thought I'd try it on him. I said, I said something real deep like this. What decision do you need to make tonight, uh, Joel? Why'd you come forward? Oh, uh, I need to help my parents more. Uh, you know, something real deep like that. And he walked up to me. He put his finger right in my face, man, right in my nose. Any closer, he'd have been picking it. And he says, Joel, the reason you're not a good son to your parents because you're not a good son to God. He said, if you were a better Christian, you'd be what you ought to be in these other areas too. Now listen, brethren, I was already saved, but I hadn't been living it. 
and I'd forgotten what joy there could be in living for God. And I knelt down on my knees and I prayed and I begged God's forgiveness for backsliding a miserable, wretched, bitter, old, rebellious heart. And I'm telling you, when I lift up my head, a world that was in black and white was in color again, and the birds were singing, and the, and the sky looked blue, and it was amazing. But I'm telling you this, the world hadn't changed. I changed. Something came into my heart. Something got a hold of me. And you say, what was it? It must have been the great preaching. I don't think that's what it was. Must have been the exciting camp atmosphere. I don't think that's what it was. There were some folks back home praying for me while I was at camp. Some parents who were still throwing in some pitch had laid a foundation of faith. God called me to preach a month later. <laughs> I met a beautiful girl at Bible college. We've got five crazy boys, and I'm living life, man. It's great. And I look back, and I'm just so grateful to God that I was able to watch my parents. They went soul winning. They tithed. When his missions conference, they made commitments that were out of this world for our family. When it was time to show faith, they showed up. And I watched them, and I saw it was real, and it affected me. And I'm telling you, church, what these young people need to see is not just the smile and the amen in the front of church. They need to see some great faith from you. Sunday morning, we're going to express our faith, and the kids are watching. They're watching. What are you going to do? Let's give something big. Let's do something great for God and show our kids our faith. I thought it was supposed to be for God. God gave you the kids. God wants you to show them an example of faith. Like I said, it's not much of a missions message, but I'm telling you this. One of the reasons I give to missions, one of the reasons I try to step out by faith and do what God wants me to do is my boys are watching me and I want them to see it's real. Would you make it real and use this missions conference as yet one more layer, one more concrete pour in the foundation that we're laying for this next generation. All these churches your pastor wants to plant, God may send fellows from somewhere else, but I'm telling you, I was in that Christian school this morning. They may not know when to clap their hands in, in an intelligence test, but there's some kids in here that love the Lord. They have a heart for God. And they have some potential. And that alone ought to be motivation enough to go big with this opportunity. Let's stand together.